I'm here with Dave Izbitsky and Christy Peralt, Principal Software Engineer at Liberty Mutual. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. We love that you're here. You are an AWS hero in the serverless category, correct? Yes, that is correct. Tell me all about that. What was your journey to becoming an AWS hero and, and a principal software engineer? Yeah, um, so it's been an interesting journey. I've definitely enjoyed uh, kind of every step of the process. Um, I definitely say on the serverless hero side, um, I think what really kicked it off was um, last year I wanted to attend reInvent and we weren't sending people with the travel and the pandemic. Um, but um, I was super excited for opportunities to network and attend a lot of the sessions and deep dive a bit more into serverless. So I applied for the All Builders Welcome grant, um, which unfortunately I think has already closed and people are waiting for um, their decisions right now. But um, if you're hearing this later, definitely check it out for next year. Um, got the grant and was able to attend. So AWS covers all of the costs there. Uh, and just had a great time. I really didn't know anybody. I kind of put myself out there, met a lot of great people, um, started talking serverless, um, and then kind of just started jumping on podcasts and writing blogs and really diving right into the community and the community programs. Um, always wanted to speak at conferences and started putting my applications out there and started doing some traveling for that. So um, it was super exciting. It's been a bit of a whirlwind, but um, I'm absolutely loving it. I love every step of the way. Um, and it's just been so awesome to be really connected with the community and um, kind of having a voice in it. I love how fast that was. I think sometimes we look at people and, you know, AWS Hero, is, it's a hard bar to hit. So, you know, to be able to go to your first reInvent and then become an AWS Hero, I think is really impressive. Did you... Did you shortcut that with the conference talks or getting involved? Like, well, what's your sort of secret formula? Yeah, I think I, I don't really have one. It's just to kind of talk to people and to love what you do. And I think people see that passion and understand the authenticity behind it. Um, and for me, you know, I've been wanting to get out into the speaker space, but obviously with the pandemic and things like it didn't happen as quickly as I wanted to. So that might be kind of the, the background of where I had to wait it out a little bit. Um, yeah. And I also have recently, actually in January of 2021, completed a master's degree that I did while working full time. Um, oh so my had, goodness. Yeah, I had absolutely zero spare time on my hands <laughs> to do anything else. So that was a huge focus for a while. And then I needed a bit of a break. And then I kind of got back out there and, and joined the community a bit more. Uh, What's your master's? Professional what did you do a master's in? Um, my master's is in computer engineering, uh, and I focused on cloud, data analytics, AI, machine learning, and robotics. Wow. So easy <laughs> subjects, really. I mean, yeah. Really <laughs> yeah my, actually, my undergrad is in computer engineering, and it has a heavy um, focus on circuits and robotics, and I built an autonomous vehicle um, for my senior design project. So I actually have wow. a very heavy hardware background. <laughs> That's really cool. Does that yeah. have <laughs> Like, how does that inform your work in serverless? It's definitely very different. Um, so it's funny you brought that up because I did a project in my grad degree that was like a meld of the two. And it took like my AWS, like Lambda and IoT knowledge and mixed it with like a little robot. So I was able to like interact with it through AWS, um, which was a really cool kind of way to, to see that and do that. So um, I really enjoyed going through my master's degree um, as my day job in like serverless and then my master's degree kind of being a little bit more hardware focused um, because they both informed each other really well. 
Uh, like there were certain spots in class where I was like, oh, I did this at work or certain spots in class where I was like, or in kind of the other way around where I was in work and I was like, oh, I just learned about this topic in school. So yeah, like I took a whole class on GPUs um, and that kind of came up a couple of times while I was working. So it's kind of neat to see the overlaps in some of these spaces, even though they are extremely different. Yeah, I went, computer engineering was actually my major freshman year and it was hard. I remember JK flip-flops and trying to like figure out the flow of, of actually in a hardware circuit. And I, I switched to information systems. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's incredible. You got your master's in that. And were you running, because you run a user group in uh, Denver too, right? Service so like you do CDK day and service. Were you doing all this and the, the master's and COVID going on? <laughs> no, no, no. They've been staggered. So I, I finished the master's in 2021. Um, the serverless Denver group just started up. Um, that was, I believe our first meetup was in May. Um, so still going strong, um, trying to do monthly meetups. Um, we have a great team for folks in the serverless Denver space. Um, some great talks. Um, we can definitely include the meetup link for that if folks are interested. We are mostly yeah. in person now, which is super exciting. Uh, that we have had a lot of asks for recordings and virtual meetups as well. That's amazing. I love hearing when people are in Denver. I love Denver. Uh, how long have you been in Colorado? So I actually just moved out of Colorado, Emily, like a oh. couple weeks ago. Crazy, you're breaking um, my heart. Yeah, <laughs> devastating. I, I do miss the mountains already. Yeah. Uh, I was out there for about two years. Um, and I actually just headed back to the seacoast where I'm from. Um, so I'm back in New Hampshire now. Amazing. But yeah, you can't take me away from the mountains. That's fair. Yeah, just yeah. different mountains. <laughs> Older mountains. Less yeah. I dragged my daughter up to uh, Golden. Is it Golden Arch? Oh, that's a good one. It is a good one. But I, I went a harder path than I intended. <laughs> And so I'm like dragging my seven year old up a mountain. Like, oh. Do it. Complete the mission. I'm sure she killed uh, it. She did pretty well. She did pretty well. And there's a moment where, because she was the only kid that high up, uh, and I think she realized that it was pretty special. So there was a there was a proudness in her, which I appreciate. Yeah. Is there like so as someone who grew up at the Jersey Shore, and I'm in the Philadelphia, like everything is flat. Yeah. Is it like skiing where there's different trails like that are rated? Like you go here as a beginner. This one is like you're literally going up super steep. Is there different pathways to be able to trailblaze the mountains out in Colorado? Yeah. Now I'm not an expert because I I'm from DC. So I'm I'm an East Coast transplant who likes mountains and um I do my best but I prefer to sashay rather than march up a mountain. Uh, and so I have this app called All Trails and it'll kind of tell oh, nice. you what things are and you can navigate based on where you are, but it'll give you like the elevation change, how long the path is uh, and sort of easy, moderate or difficult. Uh, and you can do that if you're paying attention. If you're not paying attention, like I wasn't, then you just... <laughs> I'll plus one the all trails app. I love that. And actually, um, I got a really nice Black Friday deal on their pro um, version. It was like 10 bucks nice. for the whole year for the pro. So I nice. would definitely do that if you're a big hiker. It also shows like um, mountain bike trails and stuff too, like other outdoorsy activities. But 
Um, yeah, it is different from skiing. You're not going to see like a, a black diamond rated hiking <laughs> trail versus like <laughs> versus like the green circle. <laughs> I will say if you're if you've never done it before, shoes and socks are so important. Don't skim. Oh yeah. Um, you will slip on some of these mountains in regular sneakers. So hiking boots, blisters. Yeah, I was a Boy Scout. I almost was an Eagle Scout. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I did Appalachian Trail and I had my arrow. I was almost an Eagle Scout, but I wound up, and this is just, a, you know, Dave personal background. I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And so I lost a year and you can't become an Eagle Scout if you're 18. Like you have to get it all done before 18. Oh, that's so unfortunate honest, timing. Yeah, I was bummed. I was like, oh, I want to complete it. You know, it's just one of those things in, in, in life. But I loved camping and you know you're out on canoes and lakes and you know i still remember and i can still identify you know this is a wolf uh this is a deer this is a bear like you see the different uh paw prints oh, and yeah. yeah 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 it's just i loved it i loved it but that was the main thing you're you're absolutely right emily is socks good shoes blisters will destroy any kind of uh hiking so anyway, I'll put the All Trails app in the in the show notes yeah. for people uh, uh, inter interested. But go ahead, continue with your 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 journey. So you're you're getting through COVID. You've got serverless days, Denver. Um, you've been involved with CDK uh, Day as well, right? And then your first was this your first reinvent? Yes, last year was my first reinvent, um, and this year was also. Um, I've been, I've attended and seen some sessions from CDK Day, but this was actually my first year being involved in sort of the planning of it um, and kind of that behind the scenes piece of it, which was really um, cool and a unique perspective. I'm kind of used to being on that end of submitting for conferences and maybe getting denied, maybe getting accepted. Um, so it was interesting seeing that flip side of things. Um, seeing different uh, conference proposals come in. And it's it's a really hard decision. We actually had to expand it this year because we had so many good talks that we just couldn't say no to. Um, so definitely a lot in the areas of involvement. Um, I do a lot with like women in tech and women who code too. So um, I was actually pretty, when I was out in Colorado, pretty involved with the Women Who Code Colorado group as well. So they're always looking for help and speakers too. How has it been, you know, rising up in your career as a woman in tech like what's your experience been with that it hasn't been the easiest yeah. <laughs> um, it's definitely it, it is i think most women in tech would probably say um, i'm lucky to have a really awesome support system uh, i found that my managers and my individual teammates uh, have been huge supporters of absolutely everything i do um, really big advocates for for me for myself um, even when i'm not in the room which I think is a huge uh, help. Uh, but there's definitely things that you see and, and things that, uh, you know, I've, I've mentored a lot of students coming up. Uh, one of the, my favorite things that we do at Liberty Mutual is a, a women in tech summit. And we actually invite, um, well, pre-pandemic, we'd invite the freshmen and sophomore women in engineering fields to our campus in Boston and have like a three-day kind of summit with them. And we used to do these sort of um, kind of like, they're, they're called like fishbowl activities where they pick out different topics and we have open and honest conversations around it. And it's really disheartening to see how many women that are in that room that are having such a tough time, even at the college level saying, you know, it's so hard. Like I look around my classrooms and there's no one else that's a woman in most of my classes, or I don't have any female professors and it's really hard. 
Um, but the upside to that is that after those three days, there's a lot of girls that or women that turn around and say, you know, hey, I actually was thinking about <laughs> switching my major before I came here. And now I feel like I have this awesome support system of women here who I can reach out to at any time that I know are feeling and experiencing a lot of the same things. Um, so it's tough to hear those things, but I think it's it's also great because it still centers around, you know, putting together communities and how important it is to support each other and help each other out and share your experiences, uh, even if you are being very vulnerable. Yeah, I think that's super important. Just having that support network, or it meant a lot to me, especially in my first few jobs, to be able to gut check with other people around Am I reading too much into this? Was that a slight? Is there something going on? Should I speak up about this? When do I talk to HR? How do I talk to HR? Um, what do I do if I'm being threatened, et cetera, et cetera? So I think that's really important. What do you think we should or could ask of people who identify as mid in tech? How, do, how could they help make it a better environment for the rest of us? And, and not just women, but people of color as well. Yeah, um, you're actually hitting on a great point. So back in January, um, I wrote an article about, you know, my experience as a woman in tech, um, and it was picked up by Business Insider and shared pretty widely. Uh, and in it, I listed some really good things about kind of, you know, that topic you're hitting on men as allies, some of the things that we could do. Uh, one of the things that I think is just super easy is, uh, um, I, I think I called it like uh, watching the water cooler talk. Um, and it might happen a little less now because we're not as in person, but, you know, sometimes you can sit up there and it's so easy to get talking about like a video that came out or the football game that was last night. And I absolutely love football and we'll watch it all the time, but I also watch The Bachelorette and that's not going to be brought up very often in a technical setting. Um, so it's thinking about some of those things that we're bringing up and talking about and being inclusive and just aware of the folks around you and the personalities that they have. Um, because it's not, these things aren't necessarily gendered, but sometimes they are kind of centered around those themes and those common biases. So um, that's like a really easy one that I think that everybody can, can learn to do and think of when they're in their groups and in the community with others. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And there's, there's some key words that I look for. Uh, this comes up a lot in performance discussions. Um, I think when anytime someone brings up any kind of like emotional defensiveness, uh, there's a bunch of others, but there there are gendered terms and and they're not positive. Uh, yeah. so bossy is a big one. Bossy is absolutely a mm -hmm. big one. Um, angry, aggressive, you know, like there's definitely things that can be triggered um, around those sort of biases. And so just checking those words, I find to be really, really helpful. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a an easy way to start for sure. Yeah. And you even, you know, took it a step further. Like, I mean, thinking about things like pronouns, um, mm -hmm. thinking about how you address people. Um, I, I've actually, <laughs> on another podcast I was on, we talked about how it's kind of ridiculous that we use you guys. So like informally all the time. Um, and she had actually said that she used, um, she was starting a new address in her room of people as ladies and it was all men. And they were like, well, wait, why would you say that? And she's like, well, you say you guys all the time. So like, what's the difference if I say all you ladies here, right? So it's just paying attention to some of that language. And I need to work on those things too. I definitely let it slip sometimes. Um, well, and it's just kind of second nature. You got to unlearn it. Yes. And that's something that took me a minute to learn and being vulnerable myself. The first time I sort of heard these uh, groupings around generalities around white women, I was sort of offended because it was like, well, what it, I'm doing my best, like whatever, whatever. And I didn't fully appreciate that white women 
contribute to a lot of the systemic issues and racism Mm -hmm. in society. And once I kind of stepped out of my own ego and really started listening and accepting that I'm going to make mistakes, it really helped sort of unlock a lot of things. The first is I care a lot less about making mistakes. And I don't mean that that's, I'm just bouncing around uh, offending people. What I mean is I'm not worried about messing up because I know that I can acknowledge that, apologize and do better in the future, but I would rather engage fully and occasionally stumble than to not engage at all. And I see that a lot. Sometimes with people, it's like, well, I'm not even going to mess with this because I don't want to offend it. It's always blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of quit. And I don't find that that's helpful for anyone, right? We are, we are going to make mistakes. We're all going to kind of um, just have to, like you said, unlearn, learn other things, understand background. Our education has failed us in a lot of ways and recognizing the global misogyny and racism and, and other isms that exist in our society is really important. It's sort of the first step. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you just said. And I think that it, it rings true a lot too. And if it helps for kind of allies, you know, one of the ways I like to think about this too, is that we talk a lot about learning in the open in terms of technical things. Like we talk about sitting down and saying like, Hey, you know, how do you feel about learning in the open? And a lot of people are really into it. They like to kind of sit down and say like, Hey, let me write three blog posts about this thing that I did. And let me build it up. And I think that you can take that and also apply it to this area as well and say like, I'm learning in the open about all of this, along with all these isms, everything that I don't know about, like you can still be transparent about that. And you can still do that learning in the open, um, even though it's not a technical product or a tangible thing that you're holding or building. Absolutely. And I I also want to add, you know, I don't know a single prominent woman in tech or person of color in tech that has not been dragged to HR over speaking up or stating something wasn't fair or trying to address this. And I I think it's just really important to acknowledge those things that they happen and that's real. And um, it doesn't mean we should stop, but if you're in leadership, you need to be able to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. And that means, you know, having these kinds of hard conversations and facilitating this learning environment. Completely. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've actually been, I just started reading, um, the uh, Chanel's memoir on uh, Know My Name, the Brock Turner case. Um, and it has a lot of these like similar themes in it too. So I would highly recommend, you know, it's very frustrating read. It's so hard to go through it yeah. and like experience it from her point of view. But, you know, if you're looking to kind of learn and, and see, you know, what it feels like, that's a great kind of place to start. Send that's me that hard. link. I'll make sure I add it to the, to the show yeah. notes. Thank you. Um, transitioning off of that, you know, lighthearted topic. Um, <laughs> we no, really I got that, right to it. <laughs> I think that's, um, I think it's an amazing topic and I, I love you both for bringing it up. And I, you know, just person for somebody who grew up at the Jersey shore, mm-hmm. eliminating you guys years ago, <laughs> um, you know, as I became, you know, professional in, in tech, there was two things I had to eliminate. One was you guys. And my kids say it all the time and I'm correcting it, right? It's like a Gen Z th- gamer thing. They all say bro too. I'm like, why are you saying bro? I'm like, we, we eliminated that one. But the other thing was not putting two spaces after a period in a sentence. You can still <laughs> tell when when people are, are, are doing that too, right? Because 
that's how I learned in school. And that's like an ageism thing is when you see people send out an email and if you see two spaces after, you actually know their age. Uh, and it was just a, just a general awareness of all those things of what am I saying, who's in the room, mm -hmm. uh, and what are you bringing across? Yeah, that's awesome. Let's talk about Liberty Mutual. Can I actually talk about the very serious topic of the Limu and <laughs> why, <laughs> why the Emu was chosen as the mascot of Liberty okay, Mutual? I'm going to no. let you in a secret here that a okay. lot of people seem to not know. Um, okay. it's, it's, it's pretty obvious once you realize it. But the emu's name is Limu, and that's yeah. for Liberty Mutual. So it's Limu the emu. Yeah, a lot of things click after that. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I was yeah. like, I want to sit in that board meeting where they're talking about mascots, and someone throws out basically a feathered dinosaur. You know, it's yep, like, nope, hey. that's what it was. So yeah, I, I don't know where else. I don't know where Doug came from, uh, but that is yeah. where the naming of and where I imagine they got the emu piece because it's a nice, nice little rhyme there. It's true. It's true. They're mean creatures. Have you seen this? On yeah, the they are. They're, they're not nice. They're not. I'd like they're to say that we're nicer. Emu. We're a lot. Don't judge us by the emu, right? I know. <laughs> that should be the tagline. <laughs> don't judge us by the emu. <laughs> or like, we'll protect your money and and yeah, yeah, yeah. like an emu, you know. It's just, if it's just like an email, yeah, no. How, how does Liberty Mutual support? Because you? you're it, you're still very much a software engineer, but you're doing so much speaking. What's that balance like, and how is Liberty Mutual supporting you in that? Yeah, so Liberty Mutual has been honestly really great with it so far. Um, you know, I've kind of approached it as a we we kind of approach it as a together thing. Like, hey, you know, I just got asked or I submitted to this conference, so I've been accepted here. Um, and it is a balance because you want to make sure that other people are getting these opportunities as well, too. Like, you know, there, there's real things like budgets and stuff that you have to worry about. Like, it's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time. Um, so there's a lot of conversations around, you know, what makes the most sense. Um, and there's some cases where it's an easy trip. So it's like a one overnight. And a lot of the AWS summits, for example, are free to attend. Um, and then if you're attending as a speaker, it's free to attend. Um, and then there's kind of a trade off where the Liberty Mutual gets some recognition for kind of sending me and supporting me as well. Um, but I got to say, like, my team has been hugely supportive of me. Um, there's been a lot of times where I'm like, hey, you know, I'm taking off for I think there was one time it was two or three weeks in a row where I was gone for a San Francisco summit serverless in the park. Um, and then the Denver DevOps days that I was doing kind of back to back. And they were hugely supportive, kind of like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, do your thing. Like, this is really cool. Like, you're getting our name out there. You're getting the team's name out there. Like, it's super exciting to see. And um, it, it has been hugely beneficial. I think that, you know, a lot of times when I come on these things, I get a lot of DMs afterwards being like, hey, this is really cool. I didn't know insurance had really cool tech like this. Like, I didn't know they did serverless and cloud. And, you know, I think I'm going to put in an application and apply. Or do you think you could send me to a recruiter or something like that? So I, I think it really evens out and balances out really well. Um, I like to joke because we don't really have a DevRel team that I'm like a part-time kind of, <laughs> kind of DevRel in that space. But I think the biggest thing is that I really love, I still love building, I still love engineering. So I like that I can actually, you know, build something and then that we're solving a problem at work. And then I can bring it to the external community and say, this is a real world example of something we're solving, something that we're working through, something that we're doing. And here's how we used serverless to do it, even in this really secure <laughs> um, FinOps-y kind of organization with a lot of private data. It's a great balance. 
it adds credibility too, because you're not up there like me with a hello world. You're actually, <laughs> I, 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 um, I admire you so much to, you know, you're, you're basically doing your trade, you're doing software engineering and then you're traveling and then you're sharing everything you've learned with people. There's, there's an authenticity to that. And one of the things, uh, maybe you can mention it real quick and I'll make sure I put it in the show notes, but before we started, you were talking all about, uh, well-architected framework and, and stuff that you've been doing, uh, with that around serverless. Yeah. So, uh, I think I'll get back to, uh, <laughs> the beginning here a little bit. Um, I'll explain a little bit more. I'm on a serverless enablement team. So my job and, um, I work with three other engineers, uh, our jobs are to help our 4,000 or so engineers, um, move to the cloud, uh, and embrace kind of the serverless first mindset. Um, which means that we know that serverless is not going to be the solution for absolutely everything. Um, but because of its many benefits with event-driven architecture and only paying for what you're using and the scaling up and down, we want to try to approach our architecture um, that way first. And hopefully that that's the solution. If not, you know, we kind of move down the chain and look at other AWS services or maybe a containerized approach or something along those lines. So my team's been building out solutions and developer tools and improving the developer experience um, around serverless at Liberty Mutual. So one of the things we've been really focused on recently is well-architected and the well-architected framework, um, helping teams really go through these well-architected reviews um, and focus on those six pillars, which are security, cost, optimization, reliability, performance, uh, and the new one that was announced at last year's reInvent, um, sustainability. So we're looking at all of those things and saying like, how can we help you build applications that encompass all six of these pillars um, and give you some transparency into some of the things that you're building uh, in your infrastructure and help give some recommendations to uh, help you get to this point where you have an optimized application. Is there any kind of uh, examples you can you can give that you can share from Liberty Mutual on any of those pillars, maybe sustainability? I just did a sustainability episode with Danilo. Uh, oh, yeah. And I just, I was just fascinating hearing, you know, kind of that approach to, uh, and my oldest, you know, she's uh, environmental sciences or major. So I've been thinking, we've been having a lot of conversations around the, I guess there's no dinner table anymore. It's like DoorDash <laughs> at different times. But can you speak to any of that, of, of what you've been looking yeah, and the sustainability pillar, you're pulling the toughest one out on me here because oh, that's sorry. the one I've been asking for like the most guidance around because it's yeah. so new. Yeah, well, everyone's and trying it, to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it's tough because like we're not really doing much with hardware, right? Like we're mostly software. It's easy to kind of notice those things when you're more hardware-based or you're looking at GPUs and those sorts of things. Uh, whereas I'm over here in the serverless space, it's a little different. Um, I will say some of the things that we're looking to optimize and just so that you have an idea of scale. Uh, last I checked, we have 88,000 Lambda functions um, deployed wow. across a couple hundred AWS accounts. So we have a lot of services and resources out there. Um, and Lambda is one of our biggest ones. So we've been really drilling down into that and looking to see like, um, you know, one of our recommendations might be look at your provision memory. Um, are you over provisioned? Run the Lambda power tuner and check. Um, because in a lot of cases, people just take what's out of the box and they say, oh, this must be good for me. And then it's up there and deployed for a couple of weeks. And they're actually only using a fraction of what they've provisioned. Um, so we're trying to bring some transparency into some of that. And we're saying, hey, you know, in, in terms of Lambda, this might cost you, it might save you a couple cents, right? But for 88, 
thousand lambda functions that'll add up over time for sure. Yeah. Um, and then it, it also goes to, you know, performance. It's going to improve your performance if you're tuned perfectly for your workloads. Um, so there, it's things like that. Um, another one is, you know, keeping an eye on deprecated runtimes. They just announced the Python 3.6 deprecations coming up. So that's one that we're keeping an eye on. And, you know, that's a huge security concern because usually that means, you know, there's some things that are out of date, not being kept up with, not being patched. Um, those sorts of things. So um, these are all areas that we're kind of looking at and looking to fine tune and, and help our developers with. I love that. I think sometimes with serverless, I think I'm guilty of this. <laughs> I think of it as um, like set it and forget it, like this old TV TV uh, commercials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <on> TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's just like you implement it and then it's done and everything's managed and it's this beautiful little existence. But it's not true. You still have to manage it. And um, like you said, tune it and make sure everything's running efficiently. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we've hit on a good point, too, where it's it's continuous, right? Like it isn't yeah. one and done. And I think that a lot of people have that similar mindset. But, you know, whether you're revisiting it every month, every quarter, maybe twice a year, once a year, you know, what have you, you know, it's continuously having these conversations and looking to see where you can improve because the reality of it is things are being released constantly. There's new yeah. features, there's new updates, you know, what you build today could be out of date in three months pretty easily or has a better solution for you that you can implement. So um, it, we're, we're trying to approach these well-architected reviews by saying they're a continuous conversation. You know, you don't want to automate the whole process because the discussions that we're having out of them are hugely beneficial and we want to keep those conversations going. Um, and hopefully, you know, it does get a little easier over time. Um, and you're not sitting in a room for that long or go spending hours on your applications. It's a quick, kind of more of a quick thing as you kind of get in the groove of it and know what you're doing more. But, you know, that's the point is it's, it's continuous. That's fantastic. Where can people find this information uh, online and, and where can people get in touch with you or, or listen to your content? Sure. Uh, so well-architected, I'd definitely point to the AWS documentation for sure. Um, and the serverless lens white paper was just updated over the summer. So it's got some great uh, tools in there and some uh, they've actually updated it with some really good examples. I think there's like six different examples for like mobile apps and event driven architecture. So some really good examples for typical use cases. Uh, unfortunately, um, Liberty Mutual, we have a lot of privacy um, constraints. so I can't share anything that um, I'm specifically working on. Um, but you can find me I'm on I'm on Twitter, uh, kperalt95. Um, you can also find me um, on uh DevTO, Medium. I have a couple blog spaces there as well that I try to keep up to date. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at just my name. So a couple different places. I'm working on putting together a website that contains all of my content and actually has all of my webinars and podcasts and fun things. So hopefully, uh, hopefully coming soon there <laughs> when I get the time. Well, we're so excited that you were able to join us. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for here. 
Uh, am I correct in thinking that you are a, are you a principal? Oh no, I just had it down. Edit this out, Dave. Here, start over actually. Can you just start over? Yep, go go ahead. <laughs> I, there's literally going to be a snip. I'm going to go edit, cut. There. I might put it in the end as an Easter egg for folks. Chrissy, are you a principal or a senior? I just lost it. I'm a principal. Amazing. Okay. Do you need me to resend it to you? No. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's in Slack. It's in yeah, Slack. Yeah, okay. I moved it over. I'm... Okay, here it's we go. Right. It's all good. It's okay. Maybe you got to go like that. We got to clap. Get the energy. Get ready. All right. All right. All right. <laughs>